In this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, how to pick a lock. Welcome to the Explore Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to pick a lock. Joining me today to help answer this question is Adrian Crenshaw, aka Iron Geek. Adrian, how are you? I'm doing just fine. How about you, Tim? I am doing fantastic. Um, so this is I'm having you on because and we I think we talked about this like a year ago to do this do this podcast, but for whatever reason we just haven't gotten around to it. Um, one of the first things that you know hanging out with you that I notice is that when we go to dinner, you always like bring like a long like a chain of locks and a big yeah. a big set of lock picks. Yeah, you, even my wallet says it's pretty extensive, uh, extensive at this particular point. But yeah, a lot of times I'm at dinner with a bag of locks just screwed around. No, it's and it's a great so it's a great activity to kind of get people involved with. And then like you, you know you're just hanging out at dinner. It's actually I kind of like it. Um, and I've I've you know borrowed some of your picks and tried picking some of the locks there. And it's just it's also like kind of like I don't know. It's it's a little bit soothing to get into lock picking and 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 especially like. It's a confidence builder when you actually pick your first lock. Yeah, I got most of my experience sitting here, like watching TV and just picking locks while drunk. And um, <laughs> I, hey, alcohol is not good for long-term memory. However, apparently muscle memory and so forth not really so bad. And apparently, I've actually read in some articles that there's some advantages there. But regardless, yeah, I've, I learned most of my lock picking just sitting there absentmindedly playing with the lock and you know getting my hands to get the feel for it. And so I, I guess what would you use that for? Is there something that you specifically use it for? Or is it just an activity that you enjoy doing? Well, uh, my story in the beginning of lock picking, I mean, I picked some locks when I was a kid, just fun, but they were like really crappy um, uh, doorknob locks. I went on a pen test for a former company I worked for, a physical pen test, and I really enjoyed the activity. And so I went to my buddy Doss, man. I was like, well, you got a black badge to DEF CON because you won the lock uh, picking contest one year. So Doss Man is my mentor on that. He's excellent. Way better than I am. Him, um, he's probably my my main lock guru. Uh, other people like uh, Debbie and Olaf are also great. Um, oh, oh, Shoebox is good. Um, trying to think of who all else I can recommend. Damn it, his name is escaping me. He's a buddy of Doss Man's. Anyway, I started trading underneath Doss Man one weekend, just hang out at his house, built the Derbycon lock wall that you may see at a lot of conferences I go to. And then I just started picking up padlocks and playing with them. Truthfully, I don't use it a whole lot in physical pen tests. Most physical pen tests, ultimately, people get in by, um, well, piggybacking behind other people coming back from smoke break. <laughs> or you carry a heavy box or, you know, um, and people open doors for you. Generally, it's not – you don't use uh, lock picking that much for that. Though sometimes it comes in useful. And it's impressive to show a client like, oh, yeah, your garbage bin where you're putting confidential documents. Here, it's open. Right. So right. I use it sometimes professionally for that. Mostly I do it for fun and just for the uh, the challenge of it. And I like going to um, contests at various cons and trying my best to win the contest if I can. At Circle City Con, I usually do pretty well in coming in like number one. But um, Gurkhan, I think I've come in number two or three for like three years in a row. Yeah, and that's something that people don't might not know is that there's like an actual – this is like a sport. So there's like big competitions across the world. Yeah, that's like big lock con, which occasionally happens in the United States, usually happens someplace in Europe, have uh, big competitions, people get together. They actually had one lock con at some um, locksmith uh, education organization in Kentucky. Unfortunately, that was just a little bit before I was really big into to lock sport. 
Um, anybody looking to pick this stuff up, there's the MIT Guide to Lock Picking. Also, I recommend uh, David Olo's books, A Practical Guide to Lock Picking. And he has a sequel to that, which is about more advanced techniques, but I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Okay, so I guess I guess let's kind of define lock picking. What what actually is lock picking? Well, this is a rough definition because some people would consider lock bypass a form of picking. I consider lock picking when if we're talking about a pin tumbler lock that you're individually manipulating the pins or raking the pins to be able to achieve opening the lock without the proper key. That said, there's also things like lock bypass. There are certain locks where you can reach past the pins, not really manipulate the pins directly, but manipulate the locking dog or the um, the actuator mechanisms and open the lock without even really messing with the pins. So would that be something like like handcuffs? Because you showed me how you were you'd get yeah. out of handcuffs. Shimming uh, handcuffs would be one thing. If someone doesn't double uh, lock handcuffs where they one put them on you and then they push a little button or move the little latch. To make sure you can't uh, shim them, uh, you can shim them with a very thin piece of metal, and basically you go through the ratcheting system, push push the ratcheting system aside, and open them up. Even if they have double locked them, though, I've seen people who have taken the handcuffs, pounded them against concrete with their hands in them, got that double locking feature to um, uh, unlock because of mech, uh, momentum, and then be able to shim them. Personally, I've not done that because that's awfully hard on your wrists and the cuffs. Um, <laughs> It is doable, but that is, I wouldn't necessarily consider that picking because you're not directly manipulating the individual pins or tumblers of it. For instance, mm-hmm. um, not all locks, we normally think of a pin tumbler lock in the United States when we think of a lock. So you have a spring, a driver pin, and a key pin. And in podcast form, this is kind of hard to explain, but essentially there's a gap between the driver pin and the key pin. When you put in the proper key, it raises all those pins to just the right height where that gap between the driver pin and the key pin is at the shear line between the inner plug and the outer cylinder, and you can turn the key, and that allows you to turn the actuator inside of the lock, maybe hooked to a deadbolt or maybe hooked to locking dogs in a padlock, and that allows you to open the lock. With uh, picking, usually on a pin lock, you're applying a tension tool inside of the lock, light bit of tension, and you're forming a small little ledge of sorts between that outer cylinder and the inner plug. And you try to get each individual pin to lock up on that ledge. And once you get each one locked on that ledge properly, you're hopefully going to turn the lock. Then there's raking, which is essentially taking a tool like um, a Bogota-style rave rake, varying your angle, going in and out. And it's kind of like, um, if you're familiar with software fuzzing, it's kind of similar to software fuzzing. And you're trying a lot of things and seeing what breaks. Yeah, and this 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 is like very well demonstrated with those clear locks that you can get usually as like a starter set, to where you see the pins like as you're pushing them up, they go up, and then like you were saying, they they land on that ledge. Yeah, the clear locks are nice for illustrating purposes on how a lock is designed. They're not really good for practice because in reality, mm-hmm. you're not going to see the um, innards. Also, they don't feel the same. Something about that acrylic that they make the clear locks out of. It's not the same as brass and steel. I recommend, generally speaking, one of these cutaway locks that you can order from eBay for like, I don't know, eight bucks. Um, they make those like a six pin model you can find. And uh, it feels more like a normal uh, a brass and steel lock. And um, also, it's more rugged. Those acrylic locks, you toss them in a bag full of other locks. 
they have a tendency to get uh, busted up or scratched up pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's why I kind of wanted to have a podcast on lockpick, and I know uh, there's a lot of visuals with it, but like when you get down to it and you're picking a lock, you are doing it all by feel. Ideally, or sometimes there's techniques like I'm a, I'm generally better at raking than I am single pin picking. I don't have a strong feel for single pin picking. Uh, David Olaf has great illustrations out on his site, tool okay. site. I'll be able to free L's. The order of something locksport. Uh, the open organization of lock pickers. Go to tool.us. Someone else has illustrations of how a lock works. And you can't actually feel when a particular pin, you lock that uh, driver pin above the shear line, you can feel a little pop. If your pants are sensitive enough. A lot of times, though, I'm raking. I'm basically taking like a Bogota-style rave rake on L-rake, varying my angle a little bit, and I'm essentially simulating a bunch of different key cuts that I can uh, open the lock with, potentially. And what, what's a Bogota? A Bogota was something that was designed by Raimondo. I don't know his last name. Uh, he named it after the Bogota mountain, uh, the mountains around Bogota. Essentially, I think the original ones were made out of street sweeper bristles. A lot of people, though, make them out of um, the spring inserts inside of um, uh, windshield wipers. I've made them out of uh, bra underwires, at which point I call them um, bogatatas or bubatas. Uh, essentially, what it is is like a triple hump uh, rave rake that you file out with a quarter-inch uh, pippin file or a round file. And it just so happens that when you file this out right, it becomes a very versatile lock-picking tool that opens a large number of common American locks. Like... Master lock number threes and fives, which are my two go-to padlocks for teaching newbies how to pick locks. It, for most of the key cuts you encounter on those, they happen to just be really, really good. Now, a true bow guitar, you use one as a tension tool, and you have to look this up online to see what a bow guitar looks like. You use one as your tension tool as you use the other one as your rake or pick. And usually bow guitars come in sets of two. So you have two of them. One might be a single hump, which you can use for single pin picking or like um, a, a di- half diamond a lock pick. And the other one would generally be a triple rake with three humps. About approximately, well, each hump, it, the, 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 uh, the size of the round file or pipping file is a quarter inch. So each middle point is about a quarter inch from each other, if that makes sense. Without visually seeing it, it's hard to explain. It's just a very versatile and common um Rake or rocker. Some people distinct, distinguish between rakes and rockers. Rakers being, you just go back and forth for it. Rockers being a tool that you use, that you vary the angle on a lot. I'll throw them both into the general same category. But just Bogotas are a very common um, uh, form of a rake. And okay. uh, Romando originally came up with them. I actually have a set that Romando made. Sarah Pick sells them. They sell Romandos when he get them in stock. That he makes himself by hand. They also make a, a set that's made out of some kind of titanium steel, which supposedly will go through metal detectors easier. Not that you really have to worry about it. I go on planes all the time with a ton of lock picks. They'll pull them out, take a look at them, put them back in my bag, and I'm I'm done. I've yet to have them complain much about it. The most complaint I ever got about the lock picking stuff I bought on a, a plane is, well, the locks I bring on the practice with while flying, they're, they're a big metal object, so they've appear like you know opaque to the scanners they use so they have to pull them out and look at them uh other than that i once bought a single cuff on not handcuffs completely there was a single cuff of handcuffs that had a transparent side so you can see the inner working mechanisms and the tsa lady asked her manager if i could bring that on the plane or not 
it's a single cup. What the fuck am I going to do with it? It's a, bra- <laughs> it's a bracelet. Well, yeah, and you hope that if it's clear that it's, it should be obvious that this is just like a, a learning or, or some kind of practice cuff. The funny thing is I once got on a plane. All right, I got on a plane to Tampa, and I looked over, and I, and I saw the TSA lady pull this. Um, you know who Code Steel is? It it's sounds familiar, but no. Code Steel makes cutlery, but they also make this um, self-defense hairbrush that's a giant Zytel. Zytel is a high-impact uh-huh. plastic spike in it. I'd forgotten that I'd left this in my uh, coat or whatever. I looked over, and she's scrubbing it down. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to jail. Uh, <laughs> and she scrubs it down, puts it back in my coat. I put it away properly on my way back. Then I find out on my way back from Tampa that year, um, they confiscate my um, my soldering iron because it was too long and, I guess, semi-sharp. And they confiscated my wire strippers because they were also over seven inches. And she referred to me as, like, a wrench. Then I got on another plane later on by accident with the same um, hairbrush with the with the big spike in it. The TSA, when it comes to certain things, is just asinine. But um, my lockpicks, I've never had a problem with. Now, um, if you ever listen to, um, you ever listen to Exotic Liability? Uh, I do not. Back in the day, they haven't been on in a while. Uh, Exotic Liability, in theory, was about security. But generally, it was just a bunch of guys, you know, shooting the shit. It was fine, fun to watch, a little listen to, I should say. Um, Chris Nickerson, though, he, I, at some point in time in one of his blog posts, he relates, he had an incident with lockpicks on a plane where uh, they basically stopped the plane and uh, someone referred to him as little knives, and they freaked out a stewardess. But myself, I have not had a problem with all the lockpicks I've brought on planes. Well, that's good. Do you so? Do you prefer making your own, or do you prefer like the ones that you can buy from other places? Oh, ah, I, I make a few of my own, and Doug Highweller, um, he specializes in making his own. He's a guy out of Cleveland Locksport, used to be a coworker of mine. He makes some very fine picks out of um, Thilo Gauge. If you go to some place on the HL Flake, it's some uh, something McMaster's or Mastercard. You can order some called feeler gauge stock steel. It's a little finer than hot hacksaw blades. A lot of people make those out of hacksaw blades. Truly, though, most of the picks I use now anymore in competition, I use some sparrow lock picks. Um, I really like sparrows. Mike, Mike runs it. Um, you see uh, him show up at various conferences like Gurkhan and Defcon. Uh, I like his stuff. It's made out a little bit better still than your average Southwold or Southern Specialties pick. But some, especially in Southwater, is just fine. If you go get one of the tool sets, the Fantastic, as they call it, the Tremendous 12, they're mm-hmm. actually uh, made by um, Southern Specialties and Tool Special Orders. We want these particular types of picks with these particular standards, make them for us, and then they package them up and sell them at conferences. As a basic beginner set, I highly recommend um, tools. I think it's Tremendous 12 is what they call it. And once you get past that, um, if you want a little bit better, you know, sweeter picks, uh, I like some Sparrow stuff. But you can make and them. And I imagine they're a little bit more expensive than them. Yeah, Sparrows is a little more expensive. So what about the, I guess, the impromptu picks? And this is something that you usually see in like the movies where they take like a paperclip and, and pick a lock or, or something else. How realistic is that? Not totally unrealistic. If some really big mass lot number threes, it's completely feasible that if you can find some of the tension properly with and you find, a, uh, let's say, um, a paperclip, 
and you shape into a rough hook that you can rake open a lot fairly easy. It's not inconceivable, but having real picks is definitely preferred. Okay. So one of, and I want to kind of kind of step back a little bit into the lock picking. So when you're lock picking and you're actually picking the lock, you actually have to put up, put some leverage on the lock while you're picking it, right? Right. Attention tool. The biggest Attention. problem in most movies when they show lock picking is they show person inserting one tool and opening the lock. And there are locks that are like that where you can use something like um, a wafer lock uh, uh, rockers to open up a lock if it's a wafer lock. Uh, but generally on pin tumble locks, that does not work. So you need one tool that's a tension tool and another tool for either individually manipulating the pins or um, raking the pins. Well, that, so that's like I'm thinking of uh, the Italian job where the uh, protagonist, she's like picking locks, but she's like doing the two-handed thing. Is that, is that a, an actual technique too where you have like two picks and like one lock? Not two picks. One would be a tension tool. One would be a pick. Okay. Is there a movie that like that 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 you see gets pick, lock picking right? See, I don't know about movie. I remember a while back watching episodes of Sherlock, not the oh, what's it called? It's called Elementary, the the one that has Tommy Lee Middle, Tommy mm-hmm. Lee Middle, the, the guy that played um in Hackers. Okay, there's an American version of Sherlock with Tommy Lee Middle called Elementary. They generally seem to show it okay in that particular show. Uh, I can't really think of a movie though. Okay, is there one that is there one that either TV show or movie that gets it just totally wrong? I know when I watch um, footage of people picking locks in video games, it's generally pretty hideous. Like, I don't believe video games causes violence or people to be violent to each other, but I do believe video games do cause kids to be violent towards locks. Because I put out some locks before the Lock Village, had some kids come by to try to pick them without ever asking exactly how to pick them. And they do the see on uh, video games, and it's not pretty. Video games inspire lo- violence against locks. <laughs> and so, yeah, you can, actually, you can actually screw up a lock. If you do it badly enough. Generally speak, speaking, uh, tool, one of its rules is don't pick a lock you have to rely on because it can destroy a lock. Generally, the only locks I've destroyed via picking Myself, like as in, I don't think someone else destroyed them. I think I did. Were like some really cheap Chinese locks that I got at Harbor Freight. Um, one of the nice things about some of the mass lock threes and fives, while they're kind of crappy locks as far as being easy to pick, they're pretty damn rugged. As in, you can form in a bag full of other locks, have novices pick on them, and generally still have them work. Okay, so are are there locks that are different based on like country or region or anything, or are they kind of all standard across the board? Well, it depends. Like, Europe is known for, like, narrower keyways so and more um, paracentric, um, paracentric warding on the lock. So, basically, you don't have nearly as much room to uh, move around inside of it. Um, various people, like Beltface and um, uh, the folks from um, I ha- Johnny Long from um, IHAC Charities, have brought me various locks from African countries. And in, African, in Africa... They uh, apparently those other forms of lock are very popular, like um, warded locks or um, uh, lever locks, and also pin tumbler locks. But they might have a cruciform configuration with those pins on the top, but also on the sides. Um, so it depends. In the U.S., you're generally going to face the normal pin tumbler lock with spring, driver pin, key pin, 
or you're going to encounter uh, a wafer lock, which without being able to visually show you, it's hard to explain, but uh, a lot of your desk drawers have wafer locks in them. Mm-hmm. And those are usually pretty easy to break open until you get mm-hmm. something like a car lock, which are usually generally wafer locks, but the wafer locks that have several wafers in them also generally have immobilizers in them, which are basically RFID. So you can't necessarily get that far. Um, but in the U.S., you're mostly going to encounter pin tumbler locks. Your door lock is probably a pin tumbler lock. Your pad locks are generally pin tumbler locks. Okay. So what is the hardest lock you've had to pick? Oh, shit. Oh. Um, I have some unmodified, essentially unmodified um, tag-out locks from American and Master Lock. Amer- Master Lock now owns American Lock that have um, serrated, or they have a spool shaped driver pins and semi-serrated key pins and there's one purple one i've had that i've never picked um so yeah you add a few spool pins and something it definitely increases the difficulty and for those who don't understand a spool pin instead of being a straight normal like flat bar piece of brass it's shaped like a little yarn spool or thread spool and what that causes is when you try to get the lock up above the shear line there's a little space in there where you get a false set and you actually get the little dip in there hung up on that shear line and you think you got it set, but you don't actually have it set. So you have to back off the tension and pick it again. As my friend Dawson said, if it feels nice, pick it twice. Um, that's, that's a hard thing to get a feel for. But yeah, I have, have, I have locks that I've never picked. Supposedly someone picked that purple lock at B-Sides Detroit one or two years ago, I was there to see it. A coworker of mine was. Um, I have my doubts. But, yeah, those definitely locks I have never picked. You give me, like, a disc detainer lock from a decent company, like cheap Chinese disc detainer locks I can open. Those are the ones where you have to line up a bunch of discs. They're basically like combination locks. But instead of entering the combination manually, you have a key that has all the angled cuts in it to angle all the discs just right to where the disc inside of it will have a sidebar um, – they have a little cutout in them. And when the cutouts all line up, the sidebar falls out of the way. That allows like a ball bearing to move, and you're able to open the entire lock. Again, not a great thing to explain in a podcast format, mm-hmm. but locks like that, um, I would not be able to pick. Funny thing is, some of the better distant locks, someone figured out that when people are, are, are locksmithing them, they have numbers on each individual disc, in some cases, to say which particular angle it is. So they actually made a tool for reaching back behind the disc, feeling what um, number it is, and decoding it so they could generate a key for it. Okay. Don't really know where to go from there. It's hard to visually it's, – it's hard thing to visualize. Right. But there's also people doing research into um, locks um, and bypasses and um, – High-end locks and how to properly get around them. Well, and so so that, that actually brings up another question. What about, like, bump locks? Like, is that a technique or is that along with what you were talking about, like, shimming and, and other things? I would call yeah, I, would, I definitely wouldn't call it lock bumping, lock picking. It's definitely part of lock sport. Essentially, uh, lock bumping is um, you take a key. It's something called a 999 key because I think on Schlage, the deepest depth is 9. Uh, it's not that same thing on, on, on – uh, on a quick set, but you take a key that's been um, 
taken down to those levels. And it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a Newton's cradle. I put it described as Newton's cradle. I've also heard it considered like creating chaos in the lock. You put the key in, you pull it back one notch, you slam it in while applying light tension, and what it's supposed to do is each one of those little humps hits a pin, knocks everything above the shear line, and the key pin falls down first, and for a brief moment in time, the driver pin is still above the shear line, and you can turn it. Now, lock bumping um, is kind of a hit-or-miss prospect. Some locks it's real easy on, easy, some it's not. Or lock bumping, if you want to try lock bumping instead of using the lock bumping key, if you can get an electric pick that has the whole um, vibrating end, that I've had better luck with. Okay. Well, do you have uh, – so what resources are available for learning more about lock picking? I would definitely check out Toolsite. That's a T-O-O-L dot U-S. Um, Google up Devin Olaf on Amazon and his book, uh, Practical Guide to Lockpicking. Mm-hmm. If you do a Google search, site colon irongeek.com lockpicking, you'll find a bunch of videos I've done or I've recorded of Dossman and Devin Olaf doing uh, their thing of locks. So those are the resources I'd recommend. There's also a lot of people recommend for getting into it. Um, the MIT Guide to Locks. I think it's MIT Guide to Lockpicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as companies, uh, Southern Specialties, and South Florida Goods, South Florida actually gave me a bunch of loaner picks that I bring to lock villages now. And my favorite company is pretty much Sparrows for most of my main lock picks. And then for a lot of specialty tools, Sarah Pick makes some interesting things. Like if you want a good set of Bogotas to keep in your wallet as a very minimalist, this is my lock picking set. It includes like two tools and a safety pin. I recommend looking at Sarah Pick's uh, stuff. Is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed? Um... Not a whole lot. I'll be at NolaCon this weekend, and then after that, uh, Hackers on a Farm, and then there shortly after that, uh, Show Me Con and Circle City Con. Yep, you'll be all over the place all year. <laughs> so, okay, cool. Uh, what would you like to plug? I'm Geek Cast every Wednesday, generally at seven uh, p.m. I start doing the cast. Uh, we generally have people start joining the um, live stream before we actually broadcast it out at about six forty-five. I do that about every Wednesday, and I usually throw the thing out there via Twitter. And that's on, like, Google Hangouts, or yep. it's it streamed to YouTube? Yes. And, and what do you guys do on that uh, live broadcast? Drink too much and a verbally shitpost. <laughs> All righty. Uh, and then your your website. We, we have to mention your website, because it's such, it's such a... Such a resource for the InfraSec community, which is irongeek.com. Yeah, irongeek.com. Had it since about, uh, I think, this, oh, January of 2004. Yep, and that has, like, all your, the recordings that you do at conferences around the country. Go to my website. You can always also find it on YouTube and archive.org. Because sometimes I put my website because I feel like it. But you can always find it on YouTube and archive.org also. Okay. Do you ever travel, like, overseas and, and go record? or I didn't... No. I once tried to record in Canada, and they kicked me out. <laughs> well, we might need to have another podcast about that. How to get kicked out of Canada? Apparently offering to do free work because they can still consider it work. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think apparently, I heard about this. Apparently, AltSecCon was supposed to have done like uh, or an economic impact study. It's not AltSecCon's problem or the fault because I would have thought about it either. But, the um, yeah, the customs people or whatever – were a little pissy about me coming in doing free work for a conference when they could have paid Canadians to do it. 
I gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, I was recently at B-Sides Detroit Converge, and they're like, yeah, if you go over the border, say you're going there for training or something else. Don't say you're going over there for work. Yeah, I, I learned that the hard way. I, was, I spent like 24 hours in various airports. It sucked. Yeah, I bet. All right. All right, cool. Well, thank you, Adrian, for joining me to discuss how to pick a lock. Right, thank you, Tim. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at Timothy dot dblock at gmail.com or on twitter at timothy dblock show notes can be found at timothy dblock.com forward slash e i s if you enjoyed the show share it with others and rate it on itunes have a good one